Hello. Um, so, for those of you who don't know me, I am Maddie, and I'm married to Pula, and we recently became parents to a gorgeous little girl who turned five months this week. Um, I'm also part of the leadership team at our Bramfontein site, um, so that's a bit about me. I grew up in a home where I never needed for anything. I had everything I needed and much more. I was hugely privileged and lived a privileged lifestyle, I know. Um, and when we got married, I moved from England to South Africa, and I was jobless, and we were living off one very small wage. And like many others, I was faced with the reality of living on an extremely tight budget. Um, and I'm someone who's overly cautious, and so <laughs> I like to know what's happening for the next six months, and I particularly like to know that my financial security is secure for the next six months. Um, and I grew up in a home where I never needed to worry about provision, um, and that was a massive privilege, but for me, it was a stumbling block. Well, why? Well, we'll get into that a bit later. But there was this one time in our first year of marriage when our car broke down, and the mechanic gave us the cost of what it would cost to fix it. And it was about the same amount. It was literally very close to our whole monthly salary. And at the time, we had no margins. And so for us, that was an impossible thing, an impossible task. And I remember days and days and days of stressing and worrying about how were we going to achieve this? How were we going to achieve the impossible that was standing in front of us? And then one day I went into the kitchen, and as I was in the kitchen, I looked at a do the front door, and under the front door, slid underneath, stuffed underneath, was an envelope. And when I opened it, there was nothing else inside other than the cash we needed, the exact amount to fix our car. And in that moment, I knew, and I was reminded once again, that my God sees me, that he knows my needs, and that he is the one I should depend on for this life and for eternity. And today we're going to look at a woman whose story also teaches us that, um, the, the story of the widow of Zarephath. So if you could turn with me to 1 Kings 17, we're going to read that shortly. But I just want to give you a little bit of background um, before we get into the text. So this story comes of a time in King Ahab's reign, and he's known as one of the most wickedest kings of Israel to this point. He's almost wiped out the worship of one true God in Israel, and him and his wife Jezebel have instituted the worship of Baal nationwide. Now, Baal is a Canaanite god who often takes form of a ram and a or a bull, and he has associations with fertility. And one of God's prophets, Elijah, starts his prophetic ministry with the unwelcoming news that Israel would enter and suffer a drought. Um, and it would only end once Elijah says so. And so God brought punishment of famine upon the land because of their worship to Baal. And as Israel went into extreme drought, God hid Elijah away from the king and Jezebel who wanted him dead. So first he took him to a stream where ravens brought him food. But when the stream dried out, he called him to go to the Gentile village of Zarephath. And that is where we pick up the story today in verse 8. So if you could read with me, that would be great. So... Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which I hope belongs to the Sidian, belongs to Sidian, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. 
And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, bring me a little water in the vessels that I may drink. And she was going to bring it. And he called to her and said, bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, as the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering up sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards make your something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day of the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and a whole household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah spoke by, that God spoke by Elijah. So today I want us to look at two things. Firstly, God the giver for everyday life for everyone. And secondly, God the giver of eternal life for everyone. But before I get into the widow, I just want to talk about Elijah's relationship with God. He knew the voice of God from walking with him for so many years. So when, Eli when God called Elijah to arise, go, and ask much of the widow, he did it with so much faith, knowing that what God says he will fulfill. And the thing is, Elijah knew God's voice because he'd heard God speaking so many times in the past. And so Elijah's relationship with God teaches us so much. It teaches us that if we want to walk boldly in our faith, we cannot do that without walking closely with God. And if we want to stand firm in our faith, we cannot do that without standing firm on the truths that God has spoken in his word, the Bible. So now let's get into the main event, the widow. So Jewish women, widows, were known as the most vulnerable people in society. Um, and so there were particular laws to protect the vulnerable, but even more particular laws to protect the widow. But this widow wasn't Jewish. She was a Gentile woman living in outside of Israel. Now, Gentile is often explained in the Bible as someone who's non-Jewish. And because she lived outside of Jew Israel, she wasn't protected by Jewish laws. And so therefore was amongst the most poor and needy. So I just want you to imagine her situation for a moment. She says, and now I'm going to gather a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. You see, not only has this woman had to deal with the pain, the grief and the loss of losing her husband, but now she is faced with seemingly a hopeless situation. You see, her and her son were going to have their last, what seems like, very small meal and then face salvation head on. The fear that she must have felt, <laughs> what would starvation feel like? And the pain as a mother, how, was I, how am I going to guide my son through this? How am I going to comfort him through the pain of starvation? How am I going to watch my son die? Or even worse, how am I going to leave my son a starving orphan? She may have felt extremely alone and unseen in her situation and in her desperation. And what these chapters tell us is that God cares 
for the unseen and he cares for the needy. In Psalm 68.5 it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of the widow is God in his holy habitation. You see, throughout the Bible, we see God doing miracles with men and women who would otherwise be disqualified and discarded. Even in the lineage of Jesus, we see men and women being used who otherwise would have been unseen. Leah, the unloved wife of Jacob, now Jacob was an Israelite patriarch, became the mother of the tribe of Judah. And many of you may know that Jesus is of the tribe of Judah. Ruth, the widow who wasn't even an Israelite, she was a Moab woman. She was part of the Moab people. Um, She became and married into the tribe of Judah. And when Samuel, a prophet, went to Jesse's house to go find the future king, Jesse presented him with all of his sons but one, David, That son, the youngest son, wasn't even considered. That same son, David, became the king of Israel. You see, there are examples over and over again in the Bible where we see God using unseen people to do the most incredible things. And God saw this woman, he saw this widow, and he had a rescue plan for her. God used Elijah to show the woman that he sees her that he knows her, pla- her pain and that he has a redemptive plan for her. What is amazing is this woman stepped out of her own troubles, her own pain to help a man she didn't even know. She had much faith to be able to step out and give the last that she had in hope that God would provide. And she didn't take first, but she gave first. How incredible is that? And interestingly, God only provided what she needed at the time. You see, God could have given her an abundance of food. Every morning she could have woken up to a buffet of different selections of food, but he only gave her what she needed. She must live by continued faith that the jug and the jar would not run dry. Her faith would continue to be strengthened each time she trusted for the next meal refill. And every time she saw her needs met, her faith would grow. You see, this happens so often in our lives where God calls us to a place of faith by giving us just what we need and no more. You see, every time we're standing with the impossible in front of us, God is calling us to a place of of saying, all things are possible in him. And like I mentioned earlier about never needing to worry about provision and how that caused a stumbling block in my life, well, why? Because when you don't need to worry about your needs being met, it can put you in a place of being very self-sufficient. In this season of newlyweds, I learned that it is far better to be dependent on God than be in a place of self-sufficiency. I learned to to trust and seek God for every need. And this is definitely not something I'm an expert at. Um, I often fall into a place of um, self-sufficiency. And I'm an anxious person, so I will, if I'm in a place of the unknown or out of feeling out of control or, you know, our, our financial security looks a bit iffy, I get very stressed and very anxious. But in that moment, I have to remind myself to go to God, our Father, our ultimate provider, Charles Spurgeon once said, it is a good thing to be without a trouble, but it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace. 
Why does he say it is a better thing to have a trouble and know how to get grace? Well, like I said, in the kingdom of God, it is far better to be dependent on him. Because you know what? Self-sufficiency can cause so many things such as pride and selfishness, but dependency on God gives us maturity, humility, and a deep intimacy with God. God is calling us to live lives fully dependent on him and calling us to trust him for all our needs. Now, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that because we should live in a place of being not self-sufficient, that we become careless with our finance and things, because it's better to not have money and stuff and then let God do the rest. And I'm also not saying that it's good to have nothing. If you are in a place of real financial struggle, can I ask you to go to God? But can I also plead with you to come to this community? Ask for help. We are here to help each other. However, what I am saying is that we shouldn't live in a place where our security comes from knowing that our provision will be sorted by worldly things such as family and jobs. No, <laughs> these things will definitely come and go, but we need to have our security and dependency on the only one who is unchanging and unending, and that is God. So maybe you're sat here today and you're like me, you've never known what it means to go without, and that has caused a self-sufficiency in you. Do you depend on God for your needs? Is he your security, knowing that he is the ultimate provider? Or does your job, your partner, or your family give you more of a sense of security? Or maybe you have gone without, and you know what that's like, and now you're living in a place of fear where you never want to go without again, and so you've become so self-sufficient in the way you live to make sure that never happens again. This has put you in a place of never asking God for any of your needs. You see, today I want to call us to come back to the cross. <laughs> Ask God to forgive us where we have become far too dependent on ourselves and far less dependent on him, our ultimate provider. Lisa Apello says, when she trusted God with everything she had, God provided her with everything she needed. How amazing is that, is that it's far better to be in a place of trusting God with everything we have because then we'll find ourselves in a place with everything we needed. Now, that might not be everything we want, you know. A nice Range Rover would be nice, but <laughs> that's not going to happen. But, it, it, but it, God knows our needs far more than we could ever know um, what we need. And so we need to trust in him for our needs. Let's understand, though, that God wanted more than to simply meet this woman's needs. He wanted this unbeliever in a Gentile country to know that he is the one true God. He was more concerned about feeding her soul than feeding her stomach. You see, God had a rescue plan from the wid for the widow. She was never an afterthought. What we see God do showing us here is that a time will come when salvation and relationship with God will not just be for the Israel nation, but for all nations and all people groups. So Jesus is God's rescue plan for all of us. We were never an afterthought. We have never been unseen. This is part of God's redemptive story. He saw us and he loved us enough that he sent his one and only son to come into this earth and live a sinless life, 
die a horrific death and rise again so that we can have eternal life for all who believe in him. Jesus is all we need. Jesus is our hope. And Jesus is the one we can and should depend on. And Jesus didn't just come for a select few, but came for all people, which brings me to my second point. God, the giver of eternal life for everyone. If we can read from uh, verses 17. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God, that you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and cause death on my son? And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took her from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged. And he laid him up on his own bed and he cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord, my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. You see, in these times when a a woman, a widow, loses her, her husband, it is a good thing for her to have a son because what it means is, is that son will grow up, work, and then provide for her. So not only did she lose her beloved son, but she's also losing her hope for the future. And what we see in this story is a story of hope. It's a physical prophecy of Jesus, the one who would die and not stay dead, but rise again. The widow's only son teaches us that God's only son, his life, death, and resurrection isn't just for the Israelites, but it's for all people who believe in him. God is showing us here that he is the giver of eternal life for all people and that Christ and Christ alone is our hope for our future. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 to 23, it says this, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by man came death, but, as a, but a man has also come resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. What Paul is stating here is that Jesus is the first fruits of resurrection, which means he is the first to receive eternal body. Before this, people would have come um, back, be brought back to life like the widow's son, but they will still later die. But we must understand that only Jesus has been resurrected never to die again. Jesus lives. Paul is saying that this resurrection of Christ will also happen for all those who believe in him. His church will have eternal life with him. What an incredible gift we have been given. God, the giver of life, has given life to all who give their lives to him. 
And if today you're in a listening and you're in a place where you haven't come to depend and trust in God, our provider, and you haven't given your life to Jesus that died on the cross for you, I want you to know that he sees you, that he knows you, and that he wants a relationship with you. You see, Jesus is the rescue plan. His son Jesus is where you find hope. And if you want to know more about what it means to depend on God and give your life to Christ, then can I ask you to go talk to the person who invited you to listen today, and they can help you do that. You see, what this story is teaching us is that God cares for those who the world have discarded. He sees all of us and wants a relationship with us. You know, God is teaching us through the women that we must live by bold faith, (laughs) that our security and dependency can only be on God and God alone, and that his story is And God shows us that he had a redemptive plan from the beginning for eternal life for all people, not just a select few. And finally, this widow's story teaches us that in troubled times in our lives, we must come to God, our Savior and provider. I love this quote by Charles Spurgeon. I have kissed the wave that throws me against the rock of ages. Spurgeon is saying that we should kiss the wave. What does this mean? Well, it means very often in this life and these hard and painful moments awaken us to the truth. We remember God Emmanuel, God with us. Let us remember that Jesus sought God even in his painful moments. See, even right up before his death in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out to his Father. Christ shows us that we can learn to kiss the wave because God is with us. He will never let us drown. He sees us. He knows us, and he sees us when we feel unseen, and he knows our situation, and he can comfort and guide us. Troubles in this life will come, but our hope is knowing that they will throw us against the rock of ages. They will bring us closer to Christ, And one day, these troubles will forever be gone for those who have given their life to the giver of life. Thank you.